doesn't accept that definition or that difference, then it's a very easy thing to write. Did you have left on rebuttal? How much time was left on rebuttal? Good afternoon. Welcome to the Court of Appeals. Please be Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. When I read it, The court doesn't belong to the judges, it doesn't belong to the lawyers, it doesn't belong to the courthouse crowd. It belongs to the people of this state. Welcome to another episode of Georgia Appellate Review. My name is Ryan Locke. I'm here with Leanne Webster and Sydney Strickland. And only one of them went to Harvard. <laughs> but Leanne and Sydney. Both practice appellate law downtown Atlanta. Both former uh, federal clerks. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. (laughs) We also speak in unison. Yes. This is also the the first episode of the podcast that we're recording live in person. And so it's an exciting new frontier. It's going to be a great day. No awkward pauses. (laughs) All right. So, So tell me about... Tell me about how you got into appellate work and and your what you know whether you you sought that out from law school or you kind of fell into it. I think we both fell into it basically because uh, so Sydney and I both worked at the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals, and uh, it was basically that experience that led us to do appeals once we started our own practice. Yeah, I think it was, we worked at the 11th Circuit and then developed a certain skill set and why not go out and apply it with the inside information to some extent. Sydney knows better than anyone else in the world how to shut down issues for a pill, so it puts us in a good position. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a <new> skill set. <laughs> now, now, y'all do mostly federal work, or no? No, I think we do a lot of federal work, but we also do like state appellate work. So we don't do a lot of trial level state stuff, but mm-hmm. we do a lot of state appellate work. And how is it? How is federal and state different in in terms of in terms of your approach to it? Uh, well, in the state system, you have the motion for new trial that you always get to do. In federal court, it's just you know your direct appeal, so there's no record making in the district court, no ineffective assistance claims. Nothing that requires evidence. It's just your record. Mm-hmm. So I think the state stuff is a lot more fun because you get to put up evidence to support your claims. You don't have to say, oh, that has to wait till the habeas petition. You get to make your record, put up some new evidence, and have people actually consider it. So that's nice. I actually consider it, yeah. Sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. Occasionally. <laughs> now, do you all both work on every appeal that you do? Yes. To a certain extent, yes. And so how does that work? Generally, one of us is like sort of primarily responsible for it, and they like whichever one of us that is will read the transcripts and research most of the issues. But it's always sort of a balancing ideas back and forth as to like what issues we think. Right, and it's literally like as one of us is reading a transcript, like Leanne will be texting me, like I just read this, and so it's like I haven't read the transcript. I've been kept up to date on a lot of the crazy stuff that she finds. Mm-hmm. And then we share issues later, research, try to winnow and see what's the best. And we always like edit each other's stuff. So like uh, we yeah. don't submit pleadings without the other person reading it, Definitely. basically. Yeah. So, so when, he has a lot of screen caps that I've sent her from like things I think are crazy to happen on trial. Do, do you do, when you review the transcript, do you do a digest? Do you edit it in PDF? Do you print it out? I just really keep a, you know, like a digest, I guess, a spreadsheet that mm-hmm. 
puts down the interesting information. I mm-hmm. know it's about which issues I think it could relate to. Yeah, I literally make a table in Microsoft Word because I'm technologically limited. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll keep a keep a table with like what page it happens on, the gist of it, and what I think the issue could be. Yeah. Yeah. Do y'all outline before you do a brief? Not really. I mean, in that we we lay out the issues we're going to raise. That's the extent of the outlining. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some things, I guess it depends on what it is. Like, a lot of stuff, it's pretty clear, like, our outline is the issues. But sometimes we have, like, say, a 2255 that there's, like, some various ways to lay out the same issue. And so then we have to do a little outlining to get everything out Mm-hmm. in some order that makes some kind of sense. Yeah, and I think once we're in the issue itself, like, we have, like, headings. I don't know that we necessarily do that in advance, but, you know, like, if there's, like, an issue that you're raising that has three primes to it, then we, like, yeah. list out the different primes. There's always an outline in your mind, yeah. but... But mm-hmm. in terms of, like, setting it all out in advance, mm-hmm. that's pretty rare. It kind of emerges as you're... Yeah. As you're writing. Yeah. What do you think is... So, so Dave Clark said... That the the essential skill of an appellate lawyer is issue spotting. Do you all agree? Oh yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there are other skills that go into it. Like you have to be able to research stuff in order to be able to issue spot. I guess. Like you have to have some like familiarity with the law. Right. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, issue spotting is the most important. But yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot to be able to issue spot. Yeah. Yeah. Have Have you all developed that? Like, how have you developed your skill at? And, and I mean, what's hard, what's hardest for me is, you know, reading a transcript and it's easy when you're reading and someone objects and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's, you know, court over rules. And you're like, okay. But, you know, what's hardest is, you know, the error that no one objects to or the error that doesn't occur at trial, but occurred, you know, a month ahead of time when the attorney didn't file a particular, you know, an immunity motion or something or, or, or wasn't investigating a certain part. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you all... How do you all deal with those? How have you developed your skill in in finding those types of issues? I think, Ryan, I don't know if you know this, but we're the federal editors for What's the Decision? (laughs) For Gactyl, so plug that. Join Gactyl. Yes, join. What's the Decision? Yes, read What's the Decision. Exactly. Um, So that's actually helped us, like, spot issues before. You just wrote that brief about a case that we saw. Right. I mean, reading cases is really the best way, just reading as much as possible. Um, Mm. Because there are things that have come up that, like, I would have never thought would be an issue until I saw it get a case get reversed on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you can't send someone in the federal system. Uh, it's not an appropriate reason to say they need rehabilitation because wisely the Supreme court has said prisons are not a place that rehabilitates people. Mm-hmm. So it's not an appropriate sentencing factor, but would I have ever thought something was wrong with that? Right. My, myself? Probably not. But I read a case where they said, no, we've already said that's inappropriate. So that happens. I can raise it. Yeah. So that's uh, sort of the thing with, I think, legal issues. And then in terms of like where you're talking about the sort of factual stuff, I mean, we get the case file for every case that we work on, right, from the trial attorney. So we read all the discovery, read any notes that they had, make sure we read all pretrial hearings and stuff like that. Um, talk to the client. I think like maybe people don't talk to the clients enough. I've definitely gathered issues just from talking to clients. But we go down and see every client that we see that we represent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's 
reading all that will help you like will alert mm-hmm. you to the issues. And speaking to the client is really like often the only way you get the my lawyer didn't do this thing that yeah. you could have done. Like, you know, alibi witnesses is an obvious example. Like yeah. you don't know until you talk to the client and they say you, I told them. Do you talk to the client before looking at all the stuff after? Do you have like a certain preference or generally do it after. Like we have like an introductory sort of communication but then before we go down like the prisons are all literally in the middle of cotton fields in south georgia we tend to wait until that makes sense for us to go right so after we've read everything mm-hmm. and sort of have an idea of what we think and then we go down to the client and oftentimes they're like well, what about this or what about that and then we go back and go, okay we'll look at that and that's yeah. how it goes you know, talking about becoming familiar with the law and I mean, obviously, as, as editors, what's the decision you read a lot of cases? Tell me about how you keep up with what's coming out of the Court of Appeals, Georgia Supreme Court, the federal courts. Like, what's your? do you have a habit of reading stuff as it comes out? Do you sit down once a month? Do you read the advance sheets? Like, what's your how – you, how do you read that information and then distill it down into stuff you use? I'm really bad at that. I don't want to say the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The honest answer is like, I have an idea about how I should do it, but how I actually do it is not yeah. the same. I mean, uh, I subscribe to the 11th circuit emails. So whenever they publish an opinion, I get it and I try to open it up and look at it, see if it's something that could be relevant. Um, for state cases, Again, I'll shout out Gatfield because people will get on the listserv and say, hey, this great case came out. Or you get your what's, what's the decision and it has all the summaries in it. Both of those are really helpful. But, yeah, I don't, we do a pretty bad job, I think, uh, <laughs> of staying yeah. up to date on a lot of the state uh, stuff. So we end up it's, researching all those issues from scratch. Right. Like, it's a, a little more difficult with state than federal just because the 11th Circuit doesn't publish that much. So mm-hmm. it's not that much to keep up with. Yeah, which is, the state produces a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, before I had kids, I, I would read the advance sheets every time they came out. And I think I kept that up for like two and a half months. And then it was just like... You know, and then I, I had work to do, and then just kind of fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. tough. I mean, it's tough to do, especially if it's not a if it's not a high profile federal case, um, yeah. you know, Supreme Court case, or, or if it's not something that everyone's talking about on Lister. It's difficult to keep up with it. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah and that's definitely right. I was really mad at the um, the advance sheet, and I had this. Uh, I argued this case in front of the Georgia Supreme Court mm-hmm. last year. And I read the advance sheet, and I was like, "What is this? This aren't even like half the issues." Like, and it was just like, because it was their version of it your was the issues. state's version of my issues, yeah. right? And it was just infuriating. So, right. so now I don't even really trust them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the like. What is what are things that you're doing with your appeals that you think is your like secret advantage? Like, what are the things that you're most proud of that you're doing with your appeals? Well, I mean, I think, okay, I have two answers. One is talking to the clients, which we've already talked about. Like, I think some people sort of skip that step because they don't think the clients know anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But they can provide really valuable information. You have to weed through a lot. Like, they're going to tell you stuff that you're like, well, that's nonsense. But then, like something in there in their like 10 page letter maybe something that is actually a good claim and you want to follow up on so 
you gotta read it all and look into it because even if I don't think it's a good issue on its face, it might actually be. It's true, and I think it just like helps build uh, client trust. You build right. that relationship, um, which is good, even if it doesn't uh, help you get to an issue later. My other thing that I think um, that we do differently is like we treat the motions for new trial as incredibly important. Like that is like if we are looking at how much time we spend on the case, like the time we spent preparing for the motion for a new trial hearing and thinking about the evidence that we want to put in at the motion for a new trial hearing is like a lot more than the actual brief writing later, right? Yeah, and I mean, the way we think of it is we're getting it all done on front, up front too because like we feel like that's the most important stage, get all your evidence and arguments out. And then once you get to the brief writing at the Court of Appeals, then we're essentially done because we've written that post-hearing brief mm-hmm. and we know the state's arguments. Like I just did an appeal where I basically, their response was the same thing as the trial court's order. And I had already taken care of all of that in my initial brief. So Sydney's reply brief was just, uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> yeah. no. I guess a, a little bit more at length, but essentially, but essentially it pulled down to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Do you, how much are you thinking about eventual oral argument when you're doing this work? at the motion for new trial stage. Do you think about that at all? No. no. When do you start thinking about that? Like when the docking notice shows up? Basically, I mean, like I, okay. So if you're appealing a case to the Georgia Supreme Court, right, then you mm-hmm. can get oral argument pretty easily. But most of our cases, I guess so far, have gone to the Court of Appeals and we haven't been super successful in getting oral argument there. Yeah, I've never been granted. At the Court of Appeals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm not thinking about that. So I'm thinking about, like, the written brief. Um, in the 11th Circuit, it is really rare to get an uh, oral argument. And right. so, and then, so Cindy got, um, had a really successful one last year. We don't know if it's successful yet. It should be successful. Not, yeah, not yeah, I'm literally yeah. knocking on wood. <laughs> yeah. Um, it should be successful, we hope. Um, but yeah, by the time, so there's, like, enough time in between when she got this when you get the docketing notice and when oral argument actually is that you can sort of make a plan. Right. I think at the end of the day, like we write everything, like we don't ever expect to get the opportunity to argue any yeah. further than what we're writing. Yeah. It's not like we leave out stuff and go, Oh, we'll get to say that at oral argument. Right. Like, that's yeah. stuff. Well, I'll clean it up when I'm standing up there. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. No. How, how much does, how, how much do things change from the, the trial court brief to the appellate brief? Sometimes we narrow issues. Like sometimes we're like, okay, that issue didn't go anywhere. We didn't get the evidence we needed to present that. Um, but I think generally they're and well, and then once you get to the appellate court brief, right? Then you have the district court order that you are the trial court order that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. But they're, I mean, I think they're pretty similar. Yeah. You know, like I said, we end up essentially taking our post-hearing brief and making it our appellate brief. And then we can, you know, add in, you know, arguments against what the trial court found at that point. I think we end up, like, not fleshing out facts in the appellate brief. Oh, yeah, facts. Mm -hmm. Facts. Yeah, because we don't really include any facts in the motion for new trial. Exactly. But otherwise, the arguments are generally... The same. I might try and do some additional research to sort of firm up things that I may have just said with like not a citation or something. Yeah. 
Right. But I mean, it comes down to our, our strategy is to get it all up front in the motion grade trial. We don't yeah. hold anything back waiting for the court of appeals. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And like people have told us that sort of, you should not do that. Or some people have told us that, right. That you should sort of like surprise the prosecutor at the motion hearing. And I just think <coughs> it's sort of like not very beneficial to yeah, your argument's either strong or it's not strong. Yeah. So I, I'd rather give it to them and see what they're going to come back with right. at the motion for new trial hearing instead of waiting for the brief and then having my 20 days to figure out how to reply to it. Exactly. I don't know. I don't think that's very beneficial. So we right. don't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most important section of the appellate brief? It's not a trick. It's not a trick. Well, here, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Fleischman said the introduction. And uh, David Clark said the enumeration of errors, along with kind of the issue spotting. That kind of uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, do, you all, do you all do an introduction? No, but maybe we should. I mean, we, we have kind of in a way sometimes if like we're making kind of technical arguments that get really into the weeds, mm-hmm. then we'll try to do a summary up front. Like this is where we're going. Yeah. In the argument section. We don't do like an introduction before oh, yeah. we get to the fact section. Yes. In yeah. the argument section though. Yeah. Do you think it matters to, you know, from a, you know, I mean, cause on, on these criminal defense appeals, a, a lot of times we're appealing kind of legal or technical issues that don't necessarily depend on a lot of the facts. Mm-hmm. How, how important or, or do you think it's important at all to, to, tr- to write a, a fact section that tries to humanize the client or to get the court on the client's side in that way? I, you know, I mean, sometimes the facts are just such that you can't do it. You know, or if it's a, you know, if it's a merger issue or something, then it's like, well, the only thing that matters is the sentence. Yeah. But do you, do you ever do that? I feel like that's an area, like working at the Court of Appeals and, and being in that position where we're getting briefs and making recommendations as to how it should be resolved. Like, honestly, I barely read the fact sections that people wrote. I was wondering if we were going to say that, and that makes us terrible clerks. But to be honest, like mm-hmm. facts, I usually read the government's brief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And, like, I don't remember picking up a brief that I was just so moved by the facts yeah. that it changed my analysis of the actual issue. Of the actual claim, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just have a hard time seeing how judges will be like, I mean, this guy is such, or this person is such a good person that that's going to influence how this issue comes out. Just from my experience with the 11th Circuit, it's just really hard for me to see that. And so, I mean... Maybe there are judges who are not like the judges that we were working for. I don't know, and we should do that more. But it's the, that experience has definitely flavored how we write briefs yeah. for sure. Do you remember any briefs that that you reviewed at the Eleventh Circuit that really wowed you or moved you or in bad ways? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> we remember bad briefs. Yeah. Really, really, like bad they briefs. they sound out, or you're just like. Wow, you couldn't even be bothered to like switch the like pronouns to make this be for the right gender client. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's at sort of one end of the extreme, but you know, that I definitely have more memories of that than just like really good briefs. I mean, yeah, there were some really good briefs, but again, I think it's in the analysis and not necessarily being wowed by a fact section ever. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that is for yeah. Sure. yeah. 
I mean, what do you think are the worst mistakes to make in a brief? You got to get your general. client's name right and their gender. Uh, yes. That's fair. That's yes. important. Yeah. That's, so do a control F for that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, what was the question then? <laughs> like, like, what do you think about the, the biggest mistakes that you can make in a brief? Or, or, I mean, that you've seen or. I think, well, I mean, people, oh, go ahead. Well, one thing I think is you need to acknowledge the standard of review. Yeah, and what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. Just talking about the issue without saying, you know, that this constitutes an abuse of discretion or something like or that. Or why it constitutes abuse of discretion. Like, right. Like there's abuse of discretion and then there's how you show that it's an abuse of discretion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you will just like ignore those options, right? Like applying the wrong legal standard. That's an abuse of discretion, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but people don't like articulate those things. They'll just say it's an abuse of discretion here's the issue, therefore it's an abuse of discretion. You're like, okay, but you didn't point out how it meets one of these factors, and so that's not an abuse of discretion. Um, I think people, this is really basic, but people sometimes, like, frame the issues in the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, um, like, just not, like, it's a related issue, but, like, not quite what you're, Right. right. Yeah. You have to look at your issue and what showing you have to make. So if you're debating ways to raise an issue, like whether it's prosecute prosecutorial misconduct or like plain air, mm-hmm. you want to look like prosecutorial misconduct, pretty much impossible. You want to go for plain air. You know, it's like plain air is not easy. Either. Right. Don't, don't get me wrong about that. Yeah. That's not the best example, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, I guess it's like you have multiple ways to raise an issue and you have right. to consider the showing that you have to make what kind of prejudice you're going to have to show. And, and I guess yeah. that the, you know, I mean, I've got, sometimes I have, you know, I mean, you can't argue that the jury just got it wrong, but sometimes you have good fat, you know, a lot of witness credibility issues or something mm-hmm. that you have to pigeonhole into something else, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the prejudice and an ineffective mm-hmm. assistance claim or something like that. Um, when do you kind of, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm halfway through writing and I realize like, Oh, I've looked at these issues wrong. You know, I need to reorganize my entire thing because I realize I'm kind of halfway into the woods mm-hmm. and it's not the path that I want to take. Mm-hmm. How often do you check? Like, how do you guard against kind of a muddled presentation of issues? I think that that's sort of, that's sort of what we do with the motion for new trial, right? It's like we oftentimes will raise things like one issue in like five different ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, in the motion for new trial. Um, and then, but each of those things have their different standards, right? So it's all about like looking at the law and being like, what does this actually require? And making sure that those are separate and distinct instead of like all raised together. And then um, once we raise a bunch of, like if we raise things in a bunch of different ways in the motion for new trial stage, then once you get to the appellate court, you, I think you sometimes like have a better idea as to like which one of those ways has the best chance of success. So then you can sort of narrow, weed out the other ways and just raise it the, mm-hmm. the one way. And we're also, you know, we're a partnership, so it's easy for us, but we're big proponents of having someone else read your work. Oh, God. So yeah. I'll get things back from Leanne and she'll be like, but how does this constitute deficient performance? And I'm like, right. I think it's clear this is a mess. And she's like, but can you tie it to something? And so I can make my brief more clear. This is the deficient performance. This is the prejudice from it. Yeah. I think that when you ask about like our secret or whatever, that is actually it. like that we're always working on cases together. 
And we just like talk about our cases to like everyone we see, like all mm-hmm. other lawyers we Without see. Without any confidential information. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> we only disclose was already publicly available. Right, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's sort of invaluable because you can say, I'm thinking about raising it this way, and then someone else will be like, no, actually, that's a better, the better way to raise that is like a 404B issue or whatever. And that is just. I think really invaluable. I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. Invaluable. <laughs> so. How much do you think about the actual writing? I I feel like I think about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean by actual writing? Like, like not the, you know, like the, the setting out the, you know, like writing the emotion and then looking at it, not for like, you know, logical structure and if you're hitting all the things, but the actual prose. Um, do, do you go through like a, a an editing uh-huh. stage where you focus on that? Yeah. I mean, we'll go back and forth and I'll be like, I think you should phrase that differently or try mm-hmm. to change it. Yeah. I like, so I will, once I write something, I'll have all the research, what I think is the analysis. And then I definitely go back, through to make sure that it's said in a way that I think is best. Um, that's part of like sending it back and forth to each other too. Like sitting will sometimes. Like argue. sometimes it makes sense in your head because you've looked at it so much and like this is your yeah. issue and this is the way you're thinking about it, but it yeah. doesn't necessarily come across on the paper as you think it does in your head. Yeah, I think mean, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes. A lot of a lot of it is like I don't know what exactly you mean by that. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I know where you're going, but we can make it more clear for the judges. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes, like, like if you're writing something right, then you're like, okay, this is the law, this is the analysis, da 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 da. da. And so sometimes it's helpful to have someone else be like, this is like, let's make this more cohesive, print, present more of like a broader picture argument to the judges mm-hmm. instead of just focusing in narrowly on the legal stuff. Right. Or I think this thing that you've mentioned down here at the bottom, you should probably have a whole paragraph about it up front. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take that out of a footnote. That should go in the text. That's really I outrageous. get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he tries to hide important facts in the footnotes. I'm like, we should know that up front. And what are you doing? <laughs> footnotes are important. <laughs> like, no one is reading the footnotes. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what, what do you think you're struggling with the most in, in your appellate practice now? Losing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're always right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean I mean the, the problem is that no one else realizes it. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. just the concept of harmless error is very fluid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. Uh, this case that I argued in front of the Georgia Supreme Court. So they came out with a decision and it was just like, oh, there was overwhelming evidence. So we're not even going to address three of your issues. And it just made me so mad because mm-hmm. if you look at the actual facts, which they didn't talk about at all, there's cl- cl- not overwhelming evidence whatsoever, right? But they just get to say it. Mm-hmm. And then no one's like... It makes it very easy to be a judge or a clerk to be able to say harmless or yeah. overwhelming evidence. Like, yeah. it's an easy out when you got the result you wanted. Exactly. Then, like, we would do that a lot. I mean, that's what they... I'm not sure I'm supposed to talk about this, but that's what they hammer into you at the 11th Circuit, right? It's, that's where their standard of review becomes really important. That's why, like, plain error will kill you, like, almost every time because you have to show prejudice. Mm-hmm. So. As, as, a, as a practitioner... How do you 
remain motivated when when you're you know when, when there's a really significant chance that you're going to lose the case that you're working on. Seeing other people win, like seeing your win this week, right? Yeah, like that. Um, that's like I think that's yeah, really that's motivating. Every once in a while, somebody that I know wins something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we think it could be us the next time. Yeah. We've won stuff. Like we should. We, 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 we've won. Right. We've won right. stuff. Right. Um, but uh, it's. I mean, but it's definitely you lose more than you win. So well, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, my wife does does immigration law, and when I was a public okay. defender, we would you know we'd be hanging out with our friends, and you know, on her side of the table. Yeah, you know, someone would be really despondent because it's, oh, I just lost a case. You know, and, and we'd ask, "Well, well, how many cases do you lose?" And they'd be like, "This is the first case I've ever lost." What? Right. And then on the other end of the table, you know, on the public defense side, you know, we're like, "Oh, I just won this trial. I feel so great." And like, "Oh, how many trials do you win?" And like, "This is the first trial I've ever won." Yeah. You know, and, and so it was it was very, a very different experience. You know, in being in a situation where you you win almost all the time, and sometimes you. Versus in criminal defense, when oftentimes the wins are few and far between. So I think the what we've had to do is just like really redefine winning, sure. right? Definitely. Like, yeah. The court of appeals has a hard time getting rid of my issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, this is not just appellate stuff, but like today I figured out that I think that a client is not mm-hmm. going to be considered a career offender in federal court at like one of my trial cases, and I was like. I was so happy. She didn't even do anything. (laughs) I just went to the courthouse and got the accusation and figured it out. And I was just like thrilled. Well, this is a real win for us. It was a real win for us. So, I mean, that's, you you take your wins where you get them, you know. If you get a slightly better result than you thought you might have gotten, it's a definite win. Yes, exactly. All right, guys, you know what that sound means. (laughs) Play it, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, it's time for the lightning round. Oh. I know, I know that you're both really excited for this. We are, yeah, yeah, yes. we're super pumped. All right, so as you as you don't know, the lightning round, you weigh in on certain appellate topics, and you're either right or wrong, and I hope you do well. And the first appellate topic, do you know the um, the parenthetical cleaned up? Are you on appellate Twitter at all? I'm looking at blank faces. I'm not on any Twitter at all. I'm I'm on Twitter, but only to retweet things. <laughs> That's fair. There, so the, um, the, the appellate Twitter is making a big hullabaloo of the of the parenthetical cleaned up, where they instead of saying omitting internal quotes uh, and whatever, whatever. I like it. So y- y'all would y'all on its face. I'm I'm supporting. I it. like it, but I don't know that we would actually do that in practice. I don't it's have to say where I'm emphasizing versus where they're emphasizing. You're just gonna say cleaned up at the end. Is that what it is? I don't know. That yeah. that's I, shady. I don't think you would do it. I wouldn't actually no, do it. Yeah. I wouldn't Sydney do it. Get no, I'm a real rule follower. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But I, I'm okay with I'm getting rid of the internal quotations omitted. Yeah. Um, if, if we get the blue book deal on board, uh, then there will be. Well, gonna... I've been I've been not following the blue book literally during and after law school. Like mm-hmm. I feel like half the time I, I just omit internal quotations and then don't tell anyone. Uh, but then, how do people know? How do people know that I am smart and... How do you know that they're right? quoting a case from 1897? The law has stood for that long. It's uh, important. All right. We, I mean, so personally, at the 11th Circuit, my supervisor was a 
stickler for all of those sorts of things, and that has stuck with me quite a bit. So, uh-huh. yeah. So if she doesn't check, she doesn't know when I do that without telling her. <laughs> <laughs> I trust the news to do that herself. No, I don't do anything shady. Okay. <laughs> yeah, too yeah. shady. Okay. Yeah. All right. Number two, Oxford Comma. Oh my god, yes, you have to have that. Yes, what? That's not even a question. Get out of here. So that's a screen for anyone who's listening who is not in support of the Oxford comma, and they can just take their phone and just punt it directly into the ground. Yeah. Yes, basically. Okay, what, um, the next question is font. Oh, we've been using Book Antiqua. Yeah, Book Antiqua. Mm, I like it. Yeah, Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. Yeah. We went through a series of fonts, I think, when we first started our practice, but then we landed on that one, and we're... It's, it's ours. Yeah, it's just a little jazzed up time humor, Roman. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Easy yeah. To it's read. still pretty standard. Easy right. to read, but a little bit different. I already know Sydney's pinned on this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, do you hyperlink to cases in your citations? <laughs> Sydney would never do anything <laughs> that involves technology. You know, in the 11th Circuit, if you have oral argument, you have to provide like 30 copies on paper, <laughs> and you can't click, click a hyperlink from that. Like, right. the judges are old. What's funny is that I think some of the state court appellate judges, I think a few read on their iPads, but many still read on paper. And so it... And it's so ugly. Is it yeah. like, can you make a hyperlink without it being blue? You can. You but can. then you don't know how to, you don't know but to then you don't know it's hyperlink. That's yeah. true. Right, yeah. I guess you would have to then put a parenthetical that said hyperlink. <laughs> 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 you can put no, right. they have a Exactly. Hey, Judge, you can click on this one. <laughs> Hyperlink means you click it and it goes to the website. Exactly. I was about to say, we're going to have to do one to say hyperlink. Footnote, do I get extra credit for trying really hard in this? No. Judge, you should really go read this case. This one is really important. You should read that one. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you only hyperlink to like... Yeah. Select you. Right, yeah. yeah. I have always wondered about when you're citing to a website, if like there's a judge back there clicking HTT <laughs> backslash colon colon. See, I'm, I'm just I'm just imagining, um, I, I mean, we're early enough on in the episodes, obviously no judge is listening to this. Um, no, no, I'm just imagining a, a clerk back in the office printing out like, yeah. you know, go print out this, you know, go print out slate.com for me. <laughs> So that I can review it. <laughs> There's a story about one of the judges on the 11th Circuit, which shall remain nameless, which is that he or she sits in his or her office and like finger pecks out opinions while the clerk just had to like sit around and watch. Oh no, <laughs> it sounds awful. Awful, but but also highly believable. Oh yeah, that, I mean yeah, I'm right. pretty sure that definitely happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, what about all right? So the next. Lightning right issue, putting stuff in briefs, like screenshots, um, screenshots of the, the record or screenshots of photos. Do you ever do that? I We haven't, but I sort of like it. We went to a sentencing advocacy workshop. I was going to say I like it for that, but I don't know about for appellate briefs. I think it depends on what it is. Like um, Ryan was showing us earlier the screenshot of the... Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay, that's a good example. I mm-hmm. feel like he should now explain what that example is. <laughs> so it's a it, it, part of this case was a it was an undercover uh, uh, drug buy. They used a, a, a CI to to buy some drugs, and the CI was wired with a little video camera, and it purported to show the defendant selling the drugs, but the video is very dark. And so it shows pretty much like the bridge of a nose and a cigarette, and that's it. And so I, 
I was I was writing and I thought, well, I can spend a page describing how crappy the app the video is, but then also you know, it will also probably be discounted because of course I'm gonna describe this crappy because I'm the yeah. defense attorney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I took a I took a screenshot of the best frame and just put it right in the thing. I think that's a I'm, really I'm okay with that. Yeah. 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 And I think I had a case where I was arguing that the lineup was um, prejudicial. I was just thinking that and too. The, um, because he was the only one smiling in the lineup. So when you look at the lineup, your eyes just go like straight to him. Yeah. And um, the, also the victim had described the person as like very smiling and hmm. having broad, like noticeable teeth or something. That's the best issues. description of a criminal ever, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smiling. <laughs> I, I could recognize those teeth anyway. Yeah. Right? So. Exactly. And so I didn't put it in the brief, but now I'm like, oh, that would have actually been like a useful way to do that instead of just signing to the record. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with something like that, but you cannot go overboard with that. Right. Um, we just yeah. had a decision back from um, a judge in Douglas County, and it just had like these weird screenshots of the transcripts. And I felt like that was sort of that was bizarre. It was sort of distracting. Yeah. So if it's yeah. really, really important to your issue, then yes. Yeah. But just for some flavor, right. no. You no. can just like quote a transcript. Yeah, I always yeah. type in. I always if I'm going to quote it, I block quote it and, and type it in. And then you can like bold it and right. stuff and make sure it's like super readable. So no to transcripts, maybe yes to pictures and stuff when appropriate. Yeah, when when that is your issue, qualified yes to that question. All right, yeah. okay. yep. <laughs> All right I'll accept that. All right, uh, do you always request oral argument? Um, no. And when don't you? When the issues are easily decided by the briefs. Oh, come on, that, that federal <laughs> stick, come on. Yes, when you cannot <laughs> ethically certify under Rule Thirty Four yeah. that the. It, the decisional process would be aided by oral argument. Um, when I can't argue it with a straight face. Oh yeah, that was when we had a bad issue that we were arguing from the Supreme Court, and I was like, "Cindy, you should request oral argument." She was like, "I can't stand up here and say this." Yeah. Mm. Otherwise, I mean, we try to get oral argument because it's always better for us to be able to get up there and talk. Yeah. I mean, what, do you think? Does it matter if the facts in the case are, are particularly egregious? Do you think it matters? Like facts in which way? Like the facts of the crime or facts of the error? Like the the facts of the crime. Like let's say it's some you know some kind of legal error, mm-hmm. but it's like a, a just a particularly grisly murder. I, I don't think that really impacts my decision making at no, all. No, I think if the facts are complicated, mm-hmm. then you definitely want a chance to like work through it with right. them. Yeah, like in the sorry to keep like bringing up this one case, but in the Supreme Court case that I argued, he. Um, the guy like identified like there was a pre-trial lineup and then they came in the trial and they like identified the person in the lineup and said that it was my client when it was not my client. So it was just it was sort of weird, right? So right. he's like, that There's person a on the screen is the person who committed the crime. Um, but it wasn't my client who was on trial for yeah. the crime. And I think that's really hard to explain. I don't know that I did it particularly well just now, but like that was part of like the motivation and getting oral argument there. Do you put in... And I mean, I, I don't do much federal work, so I don't know if it's required. And I suspect that it's required in federal stuff, but in state, it's not. Do you put in a table of contents and a table of authorities? In federal, it's required, mm-hmm. uh, so we do it every mm-hmm. time because they'll kick it. Yeah, we yeah. Don't. We what don't do authorities in, in state cases because we're lazy. 
<laughs> it's, well, it's so, it's so hard because I do. don't know how to work tables and right. I'm bored and Leanne doesn't like, want to do my table. I know that you can like <laughs> with styles, you can like somehow pull it, but it always seems to mess up. Yeah. And not if you do it enough, I've figured it out. So like now it's pretty like straightforward, but yeah, it took a while to get there. So now like half the time, like I have to like do it for Sydney. That's you, true. Do you always use a table of contents? No. Do we do a table of contents in the? I think when no, we, we first started writing briefs in the state. Someone course. start pulling your briefs. And yeah, yeah, we yeah. we go by what is required in the court of appeals. Yes, that's exactly. how we lay it out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So enumeration of errors is our table of contents. Yeah, I've wondered if we should do it before, but it's not required. We won an appeal without doing it. So, in which oh yes, it was noted that we did not properly cite to the record. We still don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, do you raise every issue or only winning issues? No, we raise, well. We we try to win out in the Court of Appeals, I think. Yeah. But, because, but not like majorly. Like, I mean, the number of issues that we've cut in the Court of Appeals will probably fit on one hand. Yeah, that's true. I mean. We don't try to present, like, I think we do winnowing before the motion for new trial hearing. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, we kind of know what we think legally our strongest issues are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it turns out that the evidence doesn't line up for us in the motion for new trial hearing, then we can kick issues. But mm-hmm. otherwise, at that point, I think we're pretty decided on what we think, like, legally our best issues are. How, how many issues will you raise before you start to get nervous? Because, um, like, because I feel like my bar is very. I'm like, if there's more than five, that's what I, I, I was going to say. More than five, five, I think. Yeah. yeah. But can I say, like, yeah. the, like that's pretty rarely an issue. Like that, you have that many issues. <laughs> sure. Right. Like we have a couple cases where we have a lot of uh-huh. issues, and then sometimes, like, our temptation is like when there are so many issues, it's just like, look how much they have screwed up this case. Like, yeah. there's like, like the cumulative so effect. many things. Mm-hmm. No, but the bigger issue to me is when you don't have issues. Like, what do you do when you like have read an entire record and like? Yeah. These aren't really good issues, you know. Problem in Georgia only, yeah, because we get to file an Anders brief in federal right. court, which right. I'm not saying we should have an Anders. I in don't Georgia. think that we should have that in Georgia because I think it, it allows people to not file briefs when they should. But right, yes, I mean, yes, they can deal with the number of frivolous appeals as opposed to kicking out some appeals that probably have merit and just right. have. So an, an Anders brief is the thing that you file where you say, hey, I reviewed the record and I don't find any meritorious mm-hmm. issues. And then, the, and then the court reviews the record? or Yeah, the court reviews it. And- right. And that's the other problem is like, I don't know how much, uh, like we spent a lot of time on Anders briefs when we worked in the staff attorney's office and we yeah. legitimately went through the whole record sure. yeah. and made sure and researched it and made sure there really are no issues. And I don't know that the Court of Appeals and their staff in Georgia have the means to, like, really look at it the way an attorney should. Right. Yeah. Like, you file an Anders brief and then transmit, like, the 14 volumes of the trial transcript. It's tough to see if they have the manpower to actually go exactly. through that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No. Um, so, yeah. So, in Georgia, like, you're forced to come up with issues, mm-hmm. um, which, can, which can be difficult sometimes. 
There's always sufficiency. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> that wins every time. That's true. <laughs> All right, the next one. Do you? I already asked you about putting an introduction somewhere. How block quotes? How I mean, often do you use them? We like them. Yeah, I like block quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sydney pointed out that recently I've also been doing like bulleted lists. Yeah, this mm. is a new trend. Yeah, and the Strickland Webster brief writing. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't fully on board with it, but then. I think I'm coming around. Yeah. Didn't you just use it recently? I did yes, use it. I did use it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's when you're like something is happening throughout the trial. Here's every time that they did this. Right. Yeah. I feel like I, I have recently been wanting to put tables in mm-hmm. and I haven't yet, but I feel like it's only a matter of time before I'm like, all right, let me just distill this into like what sort of tables. Would you yeah. Use? What are you tabling? Like if it is some type of, um, you know, like in, instead of spending two pages describing how each witness uh, described the assailant in a different way, mm-hmm. um, like just dropping it in a table, right? And, yeah. and being like, you know, height, eye color, what the what the mm-hmm. person said, and then having the columns be each different witness. Mm-hmm. I'm okay like with that, that table. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that can be yeah, it, whatever conveys it in a more persuasive way than like a string site. Right. Yeah, yeah. And more persuasive and more concise. If it's like right. straight to the point, it's easier to digest. I think that makes it better. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. No, this is an aside, but aren't parallel citations the worst? No. Do you parallel cite to like, if you're you know, citing to like whatever Georgia reports, whatever, and then whatever, Southeast second, whatever. Do you do that? Oh, we're, we're not in Georgia. We're trying to break our habit of doing that because no. like, we were we were conditioned working the staff attorney's office, and you do the full U.S. report site, you do the uh, like Supreme Court site, the SCT, and then you do the lawyers edition site. The lawyer, you do a yes. three site. It's only for Supreme Court cases. That, Just for Supreme Court, but that I do that. But that was like. I don't know. That is that is like ingrained in me now. It's like every time I do a Supreme Court case, and Sydney has stopped doing it. Sometimes she takes it out of mind. Yeah. But every time I do it, I'm just like, that looks lazy. I don't know. That doesn't look good. Do you, who is going to the lawyer? No, I know that. I'm just saying, like, to, in my head, because that's how I did it for three years, and it was like, you have to do it like this. But now when I see it without that, I'm like, you're messing this up. But like, where is it? Where you know, someone's looking at a site, and they're like. Oh. You know, oh, well, I, I don't have, you know, I don't have the Georgia reports, so you didn't cite to the Southeast Second, so I can't grant your appeal. We no, all have the internet computers. Yeah, obviously they're useless. I I mean, obviously they're useless. Right. There's no there's no requirement. Right. I, I, I haven't asked <laughs> anyone else I'm this. I'm not going to keep yeah. doing that for the, for the U.S. I know, and you found it. the ones that are still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue. I like how Sydney here. just, like, looked at me <laughs> when you asked that question. Uh, and I was like, uh, <laughs> do you um what do you use to draft like what word word yeah do you use styles in word yeah that's like you made the table of contents hey 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 look. i don't use styles in word thank you sydney <laughs> but some of us should so their some law partners us, don't have to some of us make a list and read their whole brief, <laughs> brief and say this case was cited on 46 <laughs> this was on 52 and then we go back and we fill in our yeah. table you don't <laughs> say that you're not gonna be able to bill for all your time now <laughs> <laughs> people at the 11th circuit are gonna be <laughs> like she's case. not yeah. doing this right <laughs> cut that by an hour <laughs> 1.5 because I don't like to use styles. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. I don't know how to mark citations. Yeah, yeah. But but you, Leanne, you use styles to make the the table of authorities, or well, those are true everything. Styles helps you make the table of contents, right? Okay. And then you make the table of authorities by marking your citations. So those are two slightly different things. But yes, I use both of them because it makes it so much simpler. I don't have to count anything. I mean, I wish I knew how to do that. I just don't. I mean, me too. Like yeah. these are these are goals that I have, but but she hasn't. I don't. Them in I don't take steps to accomplish them. At all. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Yes. And then our firm name is on the line, so I'm like, fine, just send it out. Uh, I'll do it for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Party names and briefs. Oh, we, oh we, we we use their names. We don't mm-hmm. say appellate, appellate, that is whatever. The, I hate, hate that. that. That is the worst. And like you talked about your fact section and stuff, like the most you can do to personalize your client is call them by a name. Mm-hmm. Mr. Locke, Mr. Strickland, whatever. As a party. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. People, and then like, people I think it's, are like grew up in this world where you have to say appellant, appellee. For briefs, and that is just—I mean, the rules tell you not to do that now. I they, think. Yeah, in the so, circuit, I think they do. I think they do that in the state court system too. So don't do that if you're still doing that. That's my advice. <laughs> don't do that and learn how to use styles and words. That's the. I'm just saying it'll make, it, it'll make everyone's life much easier. Yeah. The yeah. second one is get a get a decent partner, and <laughs> you can skip that. <laughs> Well, all right, well, I hear they teach it at Harvard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, they definitely do not teach it anything practical. Uh, uh, anywhere in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's fair. Yeah. Well, well, all right, we've reached the end of the lightning round. Congratulations, y'all have passed. Oh, good. Do we the, get a certificate? No, you get a better prize. We can put it in our binder of wins. That's <laughs> it's pretty thin. Uh, no, it's getting we, bigger. No, we, we have a binder. We have a we whole have, binder. We have a whole notable results website. That's right. Mm. Yeah. No. Check it out at stricklandwebster.com. There you go. <laughs> now, we're good at podcasting. What, you know, yeah, we are. You know, what you're going to win <laughs> is you're going to win a legit indictment not filed in open court issue. <laughs> the courthouse will have been closed to the public. So got to keep raising and, it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. If anyone is having their client contact them with that issue, I have a standard letter to write that lists all the 15 reasons why those claims don't work. Yes. Happy to share it. All right. Well, so where do we find it? You know, if someone wants to learn more about you, find you on the internet, social media, what do they do? Stricklandwebster.com is the website. We have a, a blog that has two, two, maybe three entries on it. Very good. Um, so that's important. And we have a Facebook page, Strickland Webster. Mm-hmm. I'm also at Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> in, no, your dreams, in your dreams <laughs> one day stuff you should know about the law with Leanne and Sydney I like that a lot yeah right. yeah, yeah, yeah Terry just said that out That's the... <laughs> it's Jerry Jerry oh, Jerry no. is editing it oh well I, I guess thank it's gonna you. stay in now right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right well well thank you so much Sydney Leanne for for joining me on the podcast our um, pleasure Ryan yes thanks for having us I, I know that you two will subscribe and we'll rate the podcast five stars if you're listening to it. And we can only give it five stars? <laughs> no, you, you can give it fewer than five stars, but you, you enjoy it so much that you should only give it five stars. <laughs> I'm glad that's where you went. I was thinking yeah. more, but you're that's like, the, no, like, I, I can earn a three. <laughs> yes, no, I think, I, yes. I mean, look, I'll, I'll be honest, both to you and the listeners. Um, I'll Listener. Be ha- oh, yes. <laughs> you, you two, and then 
you know, I, I, my, I don't, I was going to say my mother. I hey, Ryan's mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my mother dropped out after 10 minutes. She's like, oh, this she is too technical. So you can say to Michelle. Okay. Well, well, Michelle and anyone else who may happen to stumble upon it, I'll be happy with three stars. But if you rate it for five stars, I'll be especially happy. And that's our goal. We want to make Ryan happy. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who's listening. See you next time.